Our sermon text this morning is one of my favorite psalms and indeed one of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures. It may be familiar to many of you. It may be unfamiliar to some of you. This is a text in Psalm 31 that I've come back to again and again over the years of my life. And I find that as I pray it in different stages of my life with God, its meaning meaning actually expands, grows deeper, and becomes more compelling, more meaningful, more beautiful. It's that kind of text, that kind of portion of God's word. I invite you now, friends, to listen carefully to God's holy and inerrant word from Psalm 31. This short psalm is printed for you in the back of your order of worship, if you'd like to reference it there. Beloved, know this. God's word is more precious than gold, even much fine gold. The word of his mouth is sweeter than honey sweeter even than the drippings of the honeycomb. Listen to it now. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, or O Yahweh, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in Yahweh. From this time forth and forevermore. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true. And it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all the holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us now by your spirit to hear this portion of your word and to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it, that we might even more hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The scriptures are full of the most staggering kind of invitations to a life of richness and peace. Not just, to be clear, the promise of eternal rest and peace and the resurrection and the new creation, but actually an invitation to experience rest and peace right now in the midst of the difficulty and chaos and suffering of this present life. For example, in the night before he was crucified, our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, 
neither let them be afraid. Those are the words of a man that knew in less than 24 hours he would be crucified. Listen again to what he said. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I don't know what you think about when you hear those words of Jesus. Perhaps you look at your heart and you're confused because you know that your heart is often not like that, that it's actually troubled with some frequency, that it is often afraid. I know that I feel that way much of the time, and yet still those words are there, that invitation is there. And the important thing for us to see, beloved, is that the peace that Jesus means for us to have must come to us as a gift. It's not something that we can stir up in ourselves. It's something that he gives, that Jesus himself has to give to us. It is only through our deepening communion with him our ongoing life with the crucified and risen Jesus who spoke those words in the context of his school of discipleship that we can know the kind of peace that he promises. In another place, our Lord issues another remarkable invitation. Come to me. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do any of us know what it is like to labor and be heavy laden? I think we do. And it is in that place, it's important to see this, it's precisely in that place of weariness of laboring and being heavy laden that Jesus our healer, Jesus our shepherd, Jesus our teacher says these words to us. He says in that place, come to me and I will give you rest. And then he tells us how he's going to do it. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Beloved, I hope that when you hear those words of our Lord Christ, that his statement there, his invitation, arouses something in you. I hope that when you hear those words of Jesus, when you hear him say, come to me and I will give you rest, that his invitation arouses a longing in you that is deeper than any other longing you have. For this gift that Jesus offers to you and to me is more precious than anything else that we could receive. The promise of rest 
rest, friends. He really means that. And one of the fascinating things about Jesus' words here in Matthew 11 is that he says he will give us this rest in a particular way, that it will be given to us only as we come to him and participate in his school of discipleship. It is only as we come upon him and take upon ourselves, he says, his yoke his yoke that is shaped like a cross. And learn from him, he says. Learn from me. Because he is the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. We must learn these things from him because he is the one who himself knows and experiences the peace and the rest that he offers to us. As we come to Psalm 131 this morning, I want you to see these kinds of things that Jesus talks about there in the Gospels is exactly what the psalmist is talking about here. It's the same rest, the same peace, the same lack of being afraid or troubled in heart. In Psalm 131 also we are learning from the Lord Jesus Christ. We are learning from the one who is inviting us to come to him that he might give us rest. Listen again to the text of one Psalm 131 because it is Jesus who is the only one who can pray the words of this psalm perfectly and fully. Consider what it means for Jesus to pray these words. He is the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. In fact, I suspect that Jesus' words there in Matthew 11 are rooted in this psalm. And so if we're going to pray this psalm, we have to pray it in union with him. Psalm 131 Jesus himself prayed these words. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The 19th century English pastor Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm, Psalm 131, he said, It is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. I think what Spurgeon meant by that is that this, on the surface, seems to be an easy psalm to pray. On the surface, it's simple, it's short, it's not complicated. 
but to truly be able to pray these words, the words of Psalm 131 from the heart, to embrace them fully takes a lifetime, a lifetime of learning from our teacher, Jesus, and his school of discipleship, a lifetime of abiding with Christ, suffering with Christ, delighting in Christ, trusting in Christ. And yet what I want us to see this morning is that the words of this psalm are actually given to us to pray. We're meant to speak them. We're meant to embrace them. We're meant to lean forward into them, even if they're not quite fully true of where we're at right now. We're still invited to make them our own. For truly, this psalm points to us the way of life and peace. And it is offered to us, beloved, as we walk with and learn from our Lord, Jesus Christ. Psalm 131 opens with a remarkable statement of humility in its first verse. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. As it turns out, humility is not something that is important only at the beginning of our Christian life. In fact, if we're going to grow in maturity and learn to embrace the kind of peace and rest that Jesus offers to us, we must take his yoke upon ourselves. We must be embracing deeper and deeper levels of humility all the time. Humility is not something that anyone grows out of in the school of our Lord Jesus. And this is what he meant when he said to his disciples, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. But if we are to be humble with others, if we are to be a servant and even a slave to those around us, if we are, as Paul says in Philippians, to consider others more significant than ourselves, we must first be humble with God. That's what this psalm wants us to see. We must say, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. This kind of humility, beloved, is our fundamental posture toward God. And we never grow out of it. Our Lord taught us this himself when he told us the story of the tax collector who went home justified by God. The tax collector who, when he prayed at the temple, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Would not even lift up his eyes, but beat his breast and said only these words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Friends, the whole Christian life is made up of learning to pray that prayer. Learning to pray like the tax collector again and again until finally 
we learn to actually mean it. To fully mean what it is that we've been praying all those years. To just simply say completely and plainly, without hypocrisy, without guile, without holding anything back, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is mature Christian prayer. But the psalmist does not only show his humility toward God by praying, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. He also adds these fascinating words. He says to God, as an example of how his heart is not lifted up, his eyes are not raised too high, he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Beloved, what the psalmist speaks of here is the exquisite freedom of humility. To acknowledge before God that there are matters that are beyond us. There are mysteries of his will and of his ways that are too great and too marvelous for us to comprehend. And so I'm not going to occupy my mind with trying to figure them out. Moses talked about this kind of thing to the children of Israel in some of the last words that he spoke to them before his death at the end of Deuteronomy. He said to them, the secret things belong to Yahweh, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. The prophet Job put it this way as he spoke to God as he grew in wisdom. This comes at the end of the book of Job after his quarrel with God, after his seeking to explore and understand what God was up to, what God was doing. He finally, his wisdom that he learned was summarized in this. He said to God, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Behold, Job said, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. That's not naivety. That is wisdom. That is humility. That is maturity. And the Apostle Paul sums up this sentiment beautifully when he writes in Romans 11 after meditating on the difficult mysteries of God's providence and how they were playing out in the world around him as he wrestled with what God was doing. He said, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable, Paul says, are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. In their own ways, Moses and Job and Paul are each saying what the psalmist says here in 
verse 1, when he prays and says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Beloved, what I want you to see is that if you are going to receive the gift of peace and rest that Jesus offers to you, you must be willing to receive it on his terms. You must take upon yourself the yoke, the cross, the humility that he requires of those who would learn from him. You must, in other words, relinquish to God the authority and the right to determine fully the course of your life. And you must acknowledge that there will be things your father will do with that authority, with that right, things that your father will require of you, things that your father will withhold from you that will be too great and too marvelous for you to understand. This is the humility that Jesus calls us to. This is the cost that he lays before us if he is to give us the gift of rest and peace that he intends. And there are no shortcuts on this path. It's all part of one inseparable package. You can't get to verse 2 of Psalm 131 without going through verse 1. But listen to the freedom with God that the psalmist knows because of the humility that he has embraced in the first verse. It is precisely because his heart is not lifted up. It is precisely because he does not occupy himself with things that are too great and too marvelous for him, that he can also say to God, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Beloved, this is exactly what our Lord is talking about when he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is what our Lord means when he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Calmness and quietness of soul. Yes, yes, beloved, that is truly offered to you. It really is. This is truly given to those who abide with Christ. This is what is given to those who take upon themselves his yoke, his cross, and learn from the one who is himself gentle and lowly of heart. But this given is not gift, rather, is not given suddenly. It doesn't come all at once. This is, remember, a short psalm to read, but one of the longest to learn. 
This kind of calmness and quietness that the psalmist describes does not come to us, let us be clear, by one flash of light or one great convulsive event. Rather, these gifts come to us without haste and without rest in this perpetual living in union with the Christ who is our life. One commentator describes this dynamic this way. He says, the psalmist briefly and simply writes, I have calmed and quieted my soul. We can but surmise how many struggles against his own arrogance and sinfulness and against striving for honor, wealth, and recognition. How many renunciations of the beautiful dreams of youth and the headstrong ambitions of adulthood are concealed behind that statement. Till at last he holds in his hands the prize of victory, the peace which passes all understanding. Indeed, we know this psalmist. He's David. And so we know there is so much that is contained in those words, I have calmed and quieted my soul. If you think of the life of David, you can be reminded of the way he was betrayed and persecuted by Saul, his king, his father-in-law, his supposed friend. The years that he spent homeless and hunted and despised and on the run, the difficulty that he had again and again with his wives and his children, his great sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, his devastating heartbreak with Absalom, who tried to kill him and died, the repenting and turning back to God again and again and again that we see all throughout the life of David. All of these things are part of what it took for David to be part of the school of discipleship where he learned from his teacher, the Lord Christ, the humility that he needed, that he might be calm and quiet in his soul. It's fascinating to me, the image that David chooses to describe his calmed and quieted soul is that of a weaned child with its mother, not just a child, but a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child with its mother, David says. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Why a weaned child in particular? Why a child that has stopped nursing at his or her mother's breast and has now transitioned away from that source to eating solid food at the table with the family? It's interesting, isn't it, that the psalmist chooses this particular particular image? That transition away from his mother's breasts can be a difficult one for a child. Some children embrace it easily, but for others it is the first great sorrow of their lives, right? It's deeply confusing for a child sometimes. It can seem to the child as though something precious is being taken away. 
and something difficult and hard and unexciting, unsatisfying is being offered instead. Right? But that detachment, that separation, the child doesn't realize this, but we do, it's actually essential for the child to grow and develop as he should and must. And ultimately, that separation is necessary for him to actually relate to his mother in a healthy and mature way. He must be weaned if he is going to be content with her. And over time, the mature child will, of course, be grateful that he was separated, that he was weaned, that he was led on this first difficult path in his life. Spurgeon, reflecting on this psalm, writes, To the weaned child, his mother is his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. Let me read that again. To the weaned child, he's reflecting on this psalm, his mother is his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. Spurgeon continues, he says, It is a blessed mark of growth out of spiritual infancy when we can forego the joys which once appeared to be essential and we can find our solace in him who denies them to us. Who denies them to us. Blessed are those afflictions which subdue our affections, which wean us from immaturity, which educate us into Christian adulthood, which teach us to love God, not merely when he comforts us, but even when he tries us. Friends, is it not possible that the psalmist with this image of our calmed and quieted soul being like a weaned child with its mother, is it not possible that he is teaching us something here important about our relationship to God? I suspect that he is. And I specifically suspect that the psalmist is teaching us of the yoke of the cross that Jesus must lay on us if we are going to receive the rest that he offers. Indeed, there is so much to reflect on regarding the connections between humility and discipleship and suffering and peace as we pray these words and say, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. There's so much here, but we will not learn it all at once. Friends, this is not a psalm that you will outgrow. Indeed, as you pray it through all the stages of your life with God, you will, I believe, find new depths here to discover. And beloved, I don't know what it is that you desire from your life. It's a question you should consider. You should always be contemplating. What is it that you want? It's the first question Jesus asks in the Gospel of John. As two of the disciples of John the Baptist come 
after him. He turns to them and he says, what is it that you want? I don't know what it is that you want. But I want you to know, beloved, that upon the authority of Holy Scripture, I can tell you there is nothing There is no achievement, there is no prize, there is no experience, there's nothing in all creation that you can possess that can compare to this gift that your Lord Jesus desires to give you. To be calmed and quieted in your soul. To be content, as Paul says, in all circumstances. To be given a heart that is neither troubled nor afraid, even in the face of death. To receive rest. Rest. Real, true rest from the hand of the one who is gentle and lowly of heart. And these precious things, beloved, are exactly what Jesus means to give you. And so in the last verse of this psalm, it is the voice of the Lord Christ himself who actually is addressing us as he says, O Israel, that's us, O Israel, he says, hope in Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus is instructing us to hope in the Lord because he knows that the precious gift this psalm contains is not given quickly. We do not become humble all at once. We do not learn calmness and quietness in our souls in a moment. But in this school of discipleship where Jesus is our master, Friends, he is such a patient, patient teacher. Indeed, the Christ who is our life never grows weary of calling us back to pray with him again. He never tires of saying these words of invitation, these words which call us to follow him out into the deeper waters. He says, O Israel, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And that is the word that we need, I think, at the end of this song. And that's why it's there. We need to be reminded that if we are going to embrace the humility that we must embrace, if we are going to receive the calmness and quietness of soul that we are promised, our hope must not be in ourselves But our hope must be in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.